We are looking at a very, very familiar chapter, and as I wrote in the lesson, I hope that you are able to approach it with new eyes, because sometimes familiarity is, is not a good thing, and we really need to um, sit down and look at it like we've never looked at it before. Uh, but so as we unpack, one thing I want to keep in mind, want us to keep in mind, you cannot, we cannot take this chapter in isolation to everything else we have studied. Could you see how it tied back to what we had just looked at last week at the end of chapter 10? How does it tie back? What had the author just been saying in chapter 10? How does it follow logically in his discourse? The theme in chapter 10 was endurance. Okay. It, it, but he made a really key phrase. You're exactly right, um, June, but he made a key statement at the end of chapter 10. Do you all remember what it was? When he said, you have need of endurance, what else did they need to remember? Let's just go back there. Go back to the end of chapter 10. Yes, look what he says, starting in verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. He's just reminded them. Remember, these people, they're weary. Things have not turned out exactly as they had anticipated that they would. And we have to always keep in mind that this author is writing to, to not only warn them, but to, primarily to encourage and exhort them to explain the superiority of Jesus because the temptation for them is to go back to Judaism because of the, the persecution they are experiencing for their faith. And he's saying you can't go back. There's nothing to go back to. Everything has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the one you need to focus on. He is the one that is going to sustain you. He is your merciful, faithful high priest that you can draw near to that is interceding on your behalf. So focus back on that. And it's interesting in chapter 10 when he says, but recall the former days. Hey, guys, remember remember when, when your faith was so fresh and you were so excited about it and so excited about Jesus that you joyfully, joyfully endured the plundering of your property, and you were willing to be publicly exposed. You were willing to take food to those in prison for their faith at great risk to yourself, but you, you did it joyfully. Remember those times, and don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He's subtly saying there, this isn't going to get better. If anything, it may get worse. For yet in a little while the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. Now, how does that tie right into what we're doing in chapter 11? My righteous one shall live by faith. What's he doing in 11? Say, you are not alone. It can be done. I am going to pull out of your history people you are very familiar with, a long list of them, and say, hey, do you remember? Do you remember Abraham? Do you remember Moses? Do you remember Isaac? Do you remember Joseph? Do you remember these people? 
and the life of faith that they had. These would all these are Hebrew Christians. They are Jews. They would have been Jews first. So they are familiar with all of these stories and how they played out and who these people are. So here is that great, here is a, a whole cloud of witnesses of people that have gone before you to say, you can endure. We endured. You can endure. So with that in mind, let's, let's just begin to unpack this. He defines faith. Let me ask you this first. Two words I hear a lot out there, if you watch TV, I, I, don't, I watch secular media occasionally. If I'm at home during the day, I'll turn on something like The View. I just want to see what people are saying. I don't watch it very long because it gets a little irritating. But, but you hear a lot about spirituality and faith and prayer. Those words are used quite a bit. They really are. Well, we've just got to have faith. So faith can mean a lot of things in, to different people. What does it mean to some people? Not what it says here. We're going to look at that. But when you hear people say that, what are they saying? Okay. Okay. So the, if we kind of do a world's definition, it's think positive. Okay. Something else. Okay. We want to believe in ourselves. So it's kind of, okay, so let's see how we can word that. They, they believe in God and that somehow he's at work. Okay, so they do believe in God. Why don't we say then they believe in a God who, who works. Oh, that is good. A God who works, but they don't really know who God is or what, what his work is. Okay. Apathetic about God? I would say they have no foundation of who he is or what he says. How's that? So they believe in a God. For example, I have, I have a hairdresser, and she's gay. And she's not a Christian, but she loves to talk about her faith in God and, and how she prays. And hers is more, it's a God who always has good things for her if she will just pray and believe. So, so for them, faith is God has good for me. Mm -hmm. She loves Jeremiah 29, 11. That's her favorite verse. For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for a future. Plans for prosperity. And she really hangs on to that. But it's a God of her own making. So in that respect, no foundation of who he is or what he says, and just think positive, he has good for me. Their faith is in a God of their own making, their own understanding. Would you all agree with that? So it's faith in a God of their own design. 
They have thought him up and defined him, and he is loving, and he wishes the best for them, and they have redefined what good and best is, is basically what I want and what makes my life pleasurable and my life easy and gives me the good things that the world has to offer. Would you all agree with that? Want to add anything else to how the world thinks about faith? Yes, June. Okay, some of them just accept things as they are. Do you think all of them do? They just accept things as they are? I would say they either accept things as they are or they're always believing God's going to do something better for them. Mm-hmm. Okay? Could we as Christians fall into some of these traps? Do you know some? Yeah. Yeah. I was just having this discussion yesterday. Somebody called me and said, you know, as, as a so-and-so's friend, do you think I need to kind of bring this up? Because she loves to quote these first two verses. Uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And she quotes them in the context of, well, I, I don't know how I'm going to hire all these people and pay them, and I'm just trusting God's going to prosper me and I'll be able to do it. And, and that she believes that. And it's kind of a wrong handling of the text, especially if you read on what some of these people by faith endured in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. So wishful thinking. Yes, have the faith, have the fur coat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see what the biblical, what biblical faith is and what we learn about it from this example. Because he has said, he is trying to encourage them. You have got to live by faith. Things are not going to get better. They may actually get worse for you. And so you, you have to live by faith. And let me give you examples of it. And in these examples, you will see characteristics of faith, which will give you a better definition of what kind of faith I'm asking you to have. So all of these, all of these will give us some, all these examples taken together. And we're not going to go through them one by one. I mean, we could do a whole four or five week study just on chapter 11 if we go back and read about each of these, these people, but we, we didn't have time to do that. We're taking it all in one, one swath, so we've got to pull out the main ideas about it. So in chapter 11, how does the author of Hebrews define faith? I mean, I really just basically just said it. What is it? Faith is what? Assurance of what? Okay. Assurance of things hoped for. And what else? Conviction of things not seen. Does he give any other definition? Does he say anything else? Okay, people receive commendation by it? We'll talk about that in a minute. Commendation from God, right? From God by it? Okay, what else? Well, 
Look down in verse 6. What is verse 6? Okay, without faith, you cannot please him. We cannot please God apart from faith in him. We cannot draw near apart from faith that we can draw near to him and trust in his word. So as we go through, let's just kind of go through some of these examples. I want to come back in a minute to, well, actually, let's look at number four. When you all looked at 2 Corinthians, how, you know, in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18, how does that reinforce what is said about faith as assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen? Let's just look at it. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How, would those, how do those verses tie to what the author of Hebrews is saying? And how, do the, how are those verses be encouraging to them? We are looking forward to, yes, what has been promised that is further down the road for us. Exactly what you said, Tony, the joys of heaven. Other thoughts? What? Yeah what, uh, is, yeah, what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Lynn, were you going to say something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at the bigger picture. Yeah, were you going to say something? Okay, you just look like you had something on your mouth, <laughs> like you were ready. Okay. And, how, and why did they need They needed it. What, what was going on with these people? They had lost their focus, had they not? Their focus was on their circumstances and the difficulty and the challenges of their circumstances. And he's trying to redirect their focus by, by this whole exposition of what faith is and these examples of faith. You've got to look to what is unseen. You've got to get an eternal perspective. You've got to look beyond this that is staring you in the face every day as you walk through life and get my focus, my biblical focus, the eternal focus I've given you that is way over, way over all of this that you're living through. And hang on to that if you're going to go through what you're going through and not let it defeat you. Does that make sense? So as we go through some of these things, as, we, as you look through, first of all, did you notice the order? What order is it all in? It's very chronological. Starts out in the very beginning with, with, with Abel, moves into Abraham, Moses. It's just, it's just a historical walking through. And even, I don't know, it would be easy to miss it. When he gets later, he talks about Gideon and Barak and David and Samuel. And then he says, and the prophets. Just those two little words encompasses those of y'all that when we did the prophets, remember the prophets take up more space in the Bible than the whole of the New Testament. 
So he even encompasses that particular uh, time period. And while he doesn't mention any of those prophets by name, those of you all that study prophets, you know those, those men were really displayed great faith in, in the face of opposition toward them and trying to go to Israel and say, repent, repent. You have violated the covenant that you agreed to. And if you don't repent, this is what's going to happen, the very thing that God said was going to happen. And, of course, we know the rest of the story. They didn't repent, and what God said would happen, happened. And the Syrians come in and take over the north, and the Babylonians come in and take over the south. So um, really needed a wake-up call of what it means to live by faith. So as you read through these, I'm, I'm looking at this question seven. What, this is where we really, really want to build this board. What are the characteristics of faith? Okay, so in these people we see it was strong. How was it strong and assured? Okay, they didn't give up. Okay. It was a cause-effect relationship. Because they had faith, then these things happened, or they lived this way. Okay? More. There's so much more. Let's, yeah, and let's just think about Noah for a minute. Jim, I think, was it Sunday, Jim, you made a comment about Noah and how long it took him to build the ark? Y'all remember how long it took him? 120 years to build that ark. You know, I never had any sense of how big that thing was or how that really could happen until I went on a cruise ship. And then you know. And you think he built that cruise ship. Y'all are going, well, you're going on a smaller one. But, I mean, they're huge, some of those cruise ships. And they keep building them bigger and bigger. And they'll hold 4,000 people. It's a whole town on a cruise ship. Or that's just the guests. 3,000 guests, that's not all the crew. But think about him, 120 years, it has not rained. He has this reverent fear of, of God, as Anetta has said. What does it tell you that's characteristic about faith in the example of Noah? Okay, we, saw, we see deep personal commitment. Okay, so in him we see obedience. Abraham, I want you to build this ark. I do like what you said about obedience is an action verb. They all show, they act upon what they believe that God is saying, what God has told them to do, what they believe about the character of God. It's not passive. That's a better way of saying it. It's not, it's not passive. I just have faith, and somehow God's going to work. It is very active. Faith is active. Yes. Okay. What else is characteristic of Noah's faith? Yes.
Okay. A little bit. I'm not sure. I'm, I, I, let me see if I can rephrase it. Would, would, it, would, a, better, would a different way of uh, phrasing that be they have such a trust in God's promise as if God's promise is, is a legal document that they, that they can completely trust in it. So if I make that even simpler, they absolutely have trust in what God has said. They know, they, they believe by faith in the veracity and the truth of what God has said. A confident trust. I like that. They have a confident trust in God and his word. Okay. I'm thinking some more about Noah, just the fact that it took him 120 years to do this. Perseverance, endurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't you know they're making fun of him? So what? So what is characteristic about his faith then? You, 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 it's perseverance. It's enduring. What else did you say, Becky? What? Perseverance and it's endurance in the midst of what? A persecution of people making fun of him. Noah, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing this year after year after year after year? I'd say in the it's patience, it's perseverance in, in the face of ridicule, isn't it? But they had to have ridiculed him at what he was doing. And yet he did not lose heart. He did not lose faith. He knew what God had told him to do. And year after year after year after year, in the midst of that, he patiently and with perseverance, endures, and does it, trusting in God and trusting in what God said about him, about what was going to happen. Anything else? They bore witness? What do you mean, that just all of these people? Okay, okay. So if we just do that as far as, Yes, they do. If we just think in terms of biblical faith, then I could say biblical faith bears witness. Okay, absolutely. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not so. We can add up here. It's not perfection. Because we sure see that. What did Noah do? Remember Noah's lapse in the sin? He got drunk and exposed himself. What did Abraham do? He lied about who Sarah was and put her in a position that she, you know, her purity and morality would have been compromised. And he not only did that once, he did it twice. What did, what did Moses do? Yes, he killed the Egyptian and had to flee. What did David do? David looks at Bathsheba, takes her for his own, brings Uriah out from the battlefield because Bathsheba gets pregnant and tries to set him up so that he, he will look like he's the father and he 
refuses to sleep with his wife because he isn't going to do anything and he, his men can't do. So they have to, so David has to kill him. I mean, yes, there's lots of things. We haven't even gotten to Gideon and Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, which we will in a minute. Yes, Norma. Yeah, I, did you all hear her? Yeah, I agree. I agree. It, I like that, that it's very protective of us. Okay, as we go through these examples, and I'm not going to go through them one by one, but what are some other characteristics that come out? We see that it, it needed great patience, perseverance, confident trust, obedience. Obedience was seen in action. What did Abraham do? God calls him out of Ur, and he goes. And when he first calls him to go, he doesn't even know where he's going. <coughs> At all. It isn't until later that God gives him the promise. It isn't until after he left that God says, oh, I'm going to give you all of this. And I'm going to make you a great... Hmm? Yeah, but they kept on. Many did not ever receive what was promised, but yet they would look forward to the eternal, knowing they're not, I'm not getting it in this lifetime, but I am getting it. And that really goes against our modern thinking, doesn't it? June, did you have something else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. They are ordinary people. They are not. They are not perfect. But God, by faith, by faith, he enables them to do extraordinary things. Gideon, with 300 men, is able to rout a whole Midianite army because he believes, because of God's enablement and his faith in God. Now think about Abram, Abraham for a minute. If we want to do some more, what is biblical faith and what is required of us in biblical faith? Yes, it was obedience, but what else? When he was asked to leave Ur, it's all he knew. His people were there. His family were there. And I'm going to take you from there to a country where you're going to live as an alien stranger. I promise you this land, but never in your lifetime are you going to own any of it. The only piece of land he'll own is the little piece he buys to bury Sarah. So faith requires what? When we say a desire for something better, let's define the something better because we know it's not this, that God's just going to give me pleasant circumstances and pleasant things in this world. What is the something better that they're desiring? And, but what is the better place in it's ultimately heaven, isn't it? Yeah. Did you? What'd you say, Brenda? Okay. The something better is a relationship with Him, with God, and it is the eternal. What does it say in there? They they knew they persisted by faith because they were looking to something better, 
not just the promised land, but even better than that. They were looking to the better, the eternal that would come, and also implied in here is the better of what they were looking forward to. What they, and we see that at the end of the chapter, when we are brought back in and included in, they were looking for the, for the better of the Messiah who would come. What have we been seeing all these last few weeks? What we have in the new covenant that they did not have, forgiveness of sin, entrance into the throne room of God, a perfect high priest who sits at the right hand, the work of salvation completely done, finished, God satisfied, the perfect once-for-all sacrifice for sin with a high priest interceding on our behalf. They're looking forward to that as well. It doesn't just say that right here, but it's all implied throughout the whole letter, beginning to end. Here's what they're looking for. When I read all of Hebrews and I read all of the scripture. Am, am I, do you all following me? Okay. Yes. Yes. You mean his, what do you mean by his sacrifice? Yeah. And all of these things are, when they're, um, Noah, doesn't Noah have to sacrifice, to sacrifice an easy life? Yeah, he could have chosen not to do that and had a, a, an easy life and apart from being ridiculed and made fun of and persecuted for what he was doing. You follow God, there's a sacrifice of some sort of some level because you're, you're giving up the temporal for the eternal. So what is biblical faith? I'm going to give up the temporal and the, and the passing pleasures of the temporal. It doesn't mean I can't enjoy things of this earth because God made them and we can enjoy them. But my primary focus is on what's further out, behind these temporal things. That's where their focus was. Are you with me? Oh, yeah, I think they did. Yeah, I think it says it right here, what they were, they were looking for the eternal city. They were looking. No, but there's, but no, when he's speaking of them, he's speaking of when this author is talking about these great men um, and women of faith, look in verse 16. Okay, for people, let's go back. Let's go back to 13. These all died in faith, not having received things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and aliens on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they, they could have gone back. They had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So, yes, maybe Abraham was looking forward to that promised land, but the scripture says right here, ultimately, he was looking for the heavenly land. So, I think they did. I, you know, in some way, this is just my opinion. Jim may have a, you might want to pipe in on this or somebody else. In some ways, I think they almost had a higher view of what was eternal than we do, because we especially in our country, in our culture, we just live for the moment. Would you, would you agree with that? 
shall live under the direct retribution of God. You shall sink these vows, and, and all of that is gone. Oh, they still do that in the Russian and the Greek Orthodox. Vance went to, he had a Russian student get married. And I, I didn't get to go. I was sick that day. But he said, boy, they, you stood through the whole service. And he said they read every verse on marriage known to man. And it was very obvious, if you have any intention of not making this marriage work, you better leave right now. Yeah. It was forever. But it's an eternal, it's a, I mean, it was very interesting that they, they looked at that. Not that they've been yeah. married but there are eternal implications yeah. to our, to these, to these, and I think the reason why marriage is, is just because it's a covenant, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That covenant relationship that God, that God is going to get us all separate. And so it's in these small little areas, yeah, but you don't understand, it makes me really sad. So, oh, so you, so you would agree that, then that maybe, <laughs> so you would agree that we have less uh, today in our culture, generally speaking. We have less of an idea of looking to the eternal than they did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think so, in answer to your question. Okay. Let me give you, so we can wrap up, let me give you a few other things that, that I found and that I wrote down about, about faith to give us a broader, richer def, uh, definition. And then some of it is just it's encompassing what is up here but saying it a little bit different. Uh, they anticipated the future. That they realized that there was more to life than the immediate and the temporal. You know, they evaluate. Here's something else. Here's one we haven't talked. They evaluated the present and discerned the activity of the God, of God in the present situation. That's something we're going to see next week when we get into chapter twelve. Discerning the activity of God in the present, in the midst of their circumstances. We already said that they're ordinary people who, by God's grace, enabled them to do extraordinary things. They were responsive and obedient. We saw that. They were sacrificial. They were courageous to do some of the things that they did. They were persistent. They were dependent on God. They conquered their fears. And if we think about what, what faith does, it conquers our fears, determines our options, sharpens our vision, and recognizes our dependence on God. Well, if, I added, if I wrote anything else up there, it would be they were very dependent on God. Ultimately, they are dependent on God. I mean, you look, you know, I had you, and I wish we had time to go back, and I did it. Normally, I wouldn't have put that much scripture in there, we were talking about Barak and Jephthah and Gideon and Samson because I know when those of y'all that did Judges, we were like, what, what is redeeming about these people at all? I mean, it was really hard to find. Look at Samson. He did nothing but live for his pleasure. Yes, he defeated and killed a lot of the Philistines at a time that in the period of the Judges, the other countries are are trying to conquer them and to maintain their identity that needed to be done. But what does he do? What's the very last thing he does? No, no, that's Jephthah. I'm talking about Samson. Samson. His had his eyes gouged out. They bring him out to use him as sport and make fun of him. And his very last words were to God, 
He wanted, it, it's kind of ironic, he basically wants avengement for them having gouged out his eyes, but he does. There, at least there is some, there's some vestige of faith in him in knowing only by crying out to God was God going to give him the power to push those columns and collapse that Colosseum. And he dies in the process, and a lot of Philistines die as well. It's really hard for me to wrap my head around some of those people. Or like Jephthah, who makes the rash vow, if you will give me victory, I will offer up as a burnt offering the first thing that comes out the door when I return. And what's the first thing that comes out the door? His daughter. Yes, his daughter comes out. And so, you know, he must, I, I believe he did offer her as a burnt offering. Some people disagree with that. But you look at these people and you think, what? These are, these are men and women of faith? It's what God did. And they got able to tell his faith, though he died, still stood. And that's true of every one of the kids that died. Oh, yeah, it's still speaking. We're reading about them today. Even Jephthah and Samson and Gideon. Gideon was the one that is threshing wheat in the wine press. You wouldn't do that because he's so afraid of the Midianites. And he's the one that doesn't quite believe God and has to put the fleece out, not once, but twice, to finally believe that God's going to do what God says he's going to do. You know, and, and, it's, and it's funny almost when God says, appears and says, oh, mighty man of valor, as he's threshing wheat in the wine press. But he does eventually, he does eventually show valor. He does take his 300 men, and they are able to defeat and rout the Midianites and bring a period of peace for Israel in the promised land. So something, each of these people, somehow God left them here for us to see there's some element of faith in them that they, they, they believe, they, they had biblical faith. There was something about them that had biblical faith. Yes, it might have been limited, especially when you consider the culture in which they live, especially the judges. If you remember that key phrase in judges was, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And there was a cycle under which they lived, where they would send, an opposing army would come in and take over, they would be oppressed, they would cry out to God, God would remember them, God would raise up a judge, a deliverer, deliver them, have a time of peace, and then they would start the process all over again, generally digging deeper and deeper and deeper into depravity. But somehow, in the midst of that, were remnants of people that had faith in God and relied upon him. God's, we may have a hard time seeing it, but something in their heart did because God included them here as examples for us. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Okay. Okay. They recognize that they were aliens and strangers. So if we're looking to them as, as examples, do you recognize, do you live, do you feel that you are an alien and stranger? Or are we so enmeshed in the world we're really quite at home with it? 
Look at Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 Peter 2.11, Behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. We are citizens of heaven, not citizens of the United States. We are citizens of the United States or Canada or wherever, but we're primarily citizens of heaven. That is our home. That's what we're looking forward to, is that, not here. Thoughts, questions? We really kind of brought it all home. He's, and he says that. Look at the end of chapter 11, which, by the way, I love that key phrase. It's used one time, but I love it. And 38, of whom the world is not worthy. The people, the people of faith are always at odds with the world. You know what else? Let's, to add to this list when we think about people of faith, it, it isn't always a good outcome. We haven't really talked about that, have we? Because we do see below this mention of the judges and David and Samuel and the prophets that they conquer kingdoms, enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. I like that, don't you? Um, women receive back their dead by resurrection. But this is where it doesn't get good. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Do you see that better? A better country, a better life, two of the betters here. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. If I want to understand biblical faith, it might not always be a good outcome. Read Acts. It says no guaranteed good outcome. You could die for your faith or be in prison. You know, look at Paul, stoned, beaten, more shipwrecked, more, you know, near death more than once. But in 39, in all these, though commended through their faith, God witnessed, that commended means when God witnessed, he is saying that their faith witnessed with their actions and their belief witnessed to the faith that they had, and he witnesses to the faith that they had by commending them and mentioning them, did not receive what is promised since God had provided something better from us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And this is what you were saying, Tony, that God gave, he gave them a foretaste of the favor that he was going to bestow on us. So we have, if we fail, if we, we have, what have we been seeing? We have Jesus. We have all of his superiority. We have him. We have forgiveness. We have holiness. We have an advocate and an interceder at the right hand of God. We, we have eternal salvation. A, you know, a sacrifice for our sin. We do not have to go in and make sacrifices all the time. What excuse do we have to not have faith? To not be, to not endure, to not persevere, to not face the ridicule or the persecution. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We haven't really talked that much about it. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. Christ in us and us in him. We look at the great faith they had. We should have greater faith. Should we not? 
They, they are examples to encourage us to persevere, but look to Jesus. This is, that's what we're going to see next week. There's preempting next week. When we get a different perspective, look back. I'll just preempt you. Look back at these people and the faith that they had. They are an encouragement to you to continue on, to get your focus off your circumstances and on the eternal, which is what they did. But you know what? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And you know what else? You need to remember, here's your bite for next week, that you're experiencing the discipline of the Lord. And you're experiencing it because he is your father and you are the sons and he loves you very much. And that's where we're going next week. Questions, comments? I think it means, um, oh, I thought I had it written down. They're not, what were they, think about what they were looking for. They were looking forward to the Messiah coming. They were looking forward to what they were going to have in Christ, which was perfection. What did we get in Christ? We get perfection. So apart from waiting for us to come on the scene, for Jesus to come, and then now we're brought in as well, and apart from us, they, they didn't have it. Hmm? They couldn't be made perfect. It was always a future thing. We, we get to experience perfection immediately. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm explaining that well. Jim, do you have a better explanation? Okay. <laughs> I think, it, I think it is encouraging, and it's challenging, it's convicting, but it's also humbling when I look at some of these people and say, gee, God used them. Don't, you know, he can use anybody. I, I love what a friend of mine said one time when we were talking about, we were, I said something about what someone had done, and she, she said, well, God used a donkey once. <laughs> he can use anybody. Okay, let's take a break. Hebrews chapter 11 obviously is one of those texts that everyone loves, that everyone loves to uh, talk about and to celebrate. It's uh, kind of like a 1 Corinthians 13 text, isn't it? You read it and you're like, wow, doesn't this text make me feel good and doesn't it help me understand what, what, what faith is all about? I mean, boy, there's just no other text that just speaks so clearly and so wonderfully about I need to let you know that, um, like most preachers and teachers, I'm sure Nancy and, and Brenda feel this way too, but maybe you, when, when you have an opportunity to teach, that, that God brings together a series of ideas um, that you're kind of working through roughly at the same time, and it's amazing how, as I'm thinking on one topic, or I'm thinking on one issue, right now, obviously, because where we're, we're at in Matthew's gospel, I'm just doing a lot of study on difficult texts and how to teach difficult texts and apply difficult texts. Um, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about the end time and what, what that looks like and all of these different things. And it's, it's interesting how that begins to bleed into some of my, my, my study in the book of Hebrews. Uh, yesterday in our worship arts meeting, we were just discussing some new ideas that we need to do in regards to our podcast, which I don't know if you listen to, but we've done some on prayer and we've done some on some kind of some difficult topics. 
And so this afternoon, I've never put in for overtime before in my life, but I told Jill I'm going to do it because uh, I'm going to have to spend two hours and 15 minutes watching a movie for a podcast that we're going to be doing on, I think, Thursday, right? Is Steve gone? He's gone. I think Thursday is when we're taping the podcast um, on The Shack. So I've read the book a long time ago. Didn't didn't hate it. I just kind of thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. I can see why people like it. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of controversy about it. There's a lot of uh, pastors that are freaking out about it, just like they did the book. And then I meet other people, and they just, oh, it is so good. I hated God till I read The Shack, you know, and that, that's the other side of it. And I just, I, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, we, I need to, we need to say something about this. Not to, not to answer, I have no desire to think for you or to tell you exactly what you need to believe. I, I believe the Holy Spirit, and one of the beautiful statements where the Holy Spirit was so clear to me was early on in my ministry, and I don't even, I don't even, Genevieve, it was actually in a, uh, one of our prayer times. Uh, remember when we would meet, you and me and a number of other people would meet at 7 o'clock on Tuesday mornings, and we would pray, and I was deeply concerned about whether, I think I'd preached through a series on something, probably late 2004, early 2005, and after I preached the series, um, not everybody was totally different. And I really kind of expected, I mean, because I tried hard. And I preached. I thought, everything, everybody's going to be fixed now. And I remember Terry Carpenter just helping me see, and the Holy Spirit has added to this, but he was kind of telling me to be patient and to, to watch God work, to not just think it, duh, you're done. And the Holy Spirit just kept, and here's what the Holy Spirit has said to me so many times, trust me with people and people with me. Like, do you? And I tell them all the time, no. Like, I don't, to be honest with you. I don't. Because you're outside of my control. I mean, I have these conversations with the Holy Spirit. You're outside of my, outside of my control. Like, I don't, I don't know how to trust you. I don't know how to do these things. And not completely. Hear me. I'm not saying I don't trust at all. But I'm going, it's easy in those areas where it's easy to trust. Where it's easy to trust, it's so easy for me to trust. Where it's hard to trust is where it's really hard for me to trust. Make sense? And I have said that to the Holy Spirit a lot, and he would say to me, do you trust me with people and people with me? And I'm growing in it. I'm growing in it. I mean, having three boys and watching them walk through and then arrive on the other side um, and to see uh, maturity begin, the seeds of maturity begin to, to see a faith that, that very much Andrew and I tried to, to give to them and to pass on to them, but there is nothing more terrifying, truly, nothing more terrifying than looking at my children, and I think they were three, and realizing I have no ability to give you faith. Like none. And mine is so real to me. It is just so... Um, it's always there. It's, and it's always been there. And even when I say that, I mean, I was, how many of you were in our class last night that were talking about apologetics? What did I say? I've, I've genuinely wrestled with the existence of God. I, I have genuinely wrestled with that. Probably more of a compulsive, uh, somewhat neurotic bent in my brain, to be, if I'm truly honest with you. A little bit more of an, of an issue that I have, maybe a family issue, but uh, meaning hereditary. There's, we, got some, we got some issues in our minds where we just keep wrestling with things and wrestling with things. And I have. I've wondered. Man, why, why is it that so many people don't believe? Why is it that Albert Einstein didn't believe what I believe? Why is it that 
And I have all these thoughts that run through my mind. And I chase this. And yet I just, I can't help but believe. And I saw it modeled in my parents. And I'm very grateful for that. But as I have been preaching now for the last few weeks, months, maybe even years, I am not a believer because my parents are believers. They were very helpful. They, they, they guided me. I'm very grateful for the example that they gave me. But do not relegate my very real, and although in the context of community, so I don't want to just make it personal. No, it is communal. It is corporate. I had a very personal corporate experience with the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. And I pledge my life to, his obe- to, to obedience to him and to his kingdom and to his purposes forever and ever. Amen. Okay, that's, that's what I believe. And I, I, don't know, I don't know where that came from. Again, seen it modeled. I've read about it in this, in this great book I read all the time. I've seen those things, but then there's that peace that, that comes in. And, and how, do we, how do we hand that off? How do we hand that off? One of, one of the ways that this chapter is going to speak to us this morning, Hebrews chapter 11, is that it's going to, if we, if we don't just read it, to, if we don't read it quickly, and by the way, sometimes that's not a bad thing to do. Sometimes you're just wanting to quit. Hebrews 11 is a great chapter to go, seriously, you're going to quit? Because <laughs> you've got it rough. Yeah, let's, let's look at some people who've had it a whole lot rougher than us, right? And, and, and you, you can read it rather quickly. And just allow the word of God to flood, to spill over you, and for you to become strengthened. Your, your feeble knees will find strength, right? When you account for um, God's faithfulness to saints of old. So I think that's one of the ways in which you truly can uh, be blessed. But then there can be another side to this in which we stop and we ask some, maybe some deeper questions. Um, when I looked at my kids when they were three and five and seven and nine and 13 and 21, and I say to them, oh, there's still so much more you need to know about the Lord. And there's so much more you still need to know about all of these things. On the one hand, we can say, oh, isn't it just simple? And, and we can just love childlike faith. Let's not like childish belief. And there is a difference. I want to talk a little bit today about about the idea of, of, uh, of a childlike faith and not a childish belief. And I think that's a little bit of what Nancy was getting at. Nancy was kind of describing, um, boy, do you guys know this idea of faith and this idea of belief where it's like, we really don't believe in God, we believe in a better tomorrow. We really don't believe in God and his plan and his purposes in the world. We just have hope that, you know what, if we just do our best, it's just going to get better. It'll all work out. And I'll be honest with you, I I don't have hope or faith in it'll all work out. And I don't know about you, but I have been failed by so many people, even good people. I consistently find failure. And I remember the day when all of a sudden my problems exceeded my parents' capacity to fix. Do you remember that day? I remember the day. Because until a certain point in my life, There was no problem my parents couldn't fix. And then I I began to put together when my sister was diagnosed with cancer in 1977, 78. I was 10 years old. And I remember walking home from school because she was not doing well. I thought she was going to die. 
And so I get a call, and uh, the hospital or the school got a call, and I had to walk home. I still remember walking home. It was wintertime, and I'm wearing this, this. I still remember the jacket I was wearing, and I'm begging God to not let my sister die. And I remember all of a sudden it real, kind of dawned on me, my mom and dad can't fix this one. They can't just make it better. And I was 10 and terrified. Terrified. Because all of a sudden, like, what do you have? If your mom and dad can't make something better, what do you have? And so that's kind of where I learned to pray. I had prayed before. but I, I, And by the way, not that even I learned to pray great. No, I had some real dumb prayers for my sister. Like I remember praying, God, I promise I'll be good if you make my sister better. Remember those dumb prayers? Like I promise God. I, I, remember, I remember telling God, um, I'm not going to talk to you now about this because I know I'm doing some bad things. But I'm going to be good for a week, and then we're going to talk again, and you'll kind of owe me. I mean, I, I had that prayer with the Lord when I was about 11 years old. I remember, I remember telling him that. I remember going, I know right now we're not good, but I'm going to make us good. And then we're going to talk again, and you're going to kind of owe me. Okay? So this is, this is childish, is it not? That's a childish way of, of, of looking at things. I'll tell you another childish way to look at things. Um, some, sometimes a childish way of dealing with things are by dealing with them um, not in their fullness, but in a superficiality. I.e., superficially, I want to. I want to deal with this. Uh, I want to deal with this very deep and rich and robust answer. But I want to just really look at it. Um, uh, love makes the world go round. Amen. I just love love. Okay. Really? Um, any, anybody else like watching Mash? Okay. My wife and I have like literally. We watch two to three episodes of Mash almost every night. I'm not even kidding. We watch MASH all the time, and we run through, and we run through, and we run through, and more and more, I love seasons one through three, and then she gets mad because I'm usually looking on Google in terms of, like, why certain people left at certain times, and I never realized that this is what was going on behind the scenes, and so we sit there. We love to watch MASH. Now, here, here's what's funny. I, even though I love the show, what I absolutely hate about it is one of the major premises of the show. This is weird. What I hate is just how simple... These idiot doctors think war is. They, they say it all the time, don't they? I don't understand why people can't just get along and we just can't go home. Why can't they just figure it out? Why do we have to have this stupid war? I'm going, seriously? Like, you don't, you think by just going home it's going to stop? You think that if, if you guys just packed up, if America just packed up, um, that, that, that that's all that needs to happen? Like, Again, agree or disagree. Do you have any idea what's happening in Korea during this time period? Well, I just don't understand why they can't just get together and agree. This is just, okay, and I, it drives me crazy. Andrea goes like, will you let it go? And I can't let it go. First of all, first of all, I got to say this. I got to let you know, for those of you that are mashed, do you know who were the doctors in the Korean conflict? Are you ready for this? Men and women who had enlisted in during the, during the World War II time and went to, under government subsidy, went to medical school, they weren't drafted. 
Hawkeye pretends he was drafted, right? Yeah, I was just walking around. and No, no, no. These were guys, doctors from World War II, which was just a few years earlier. And then other doctors. And they just were normally not, not it, wasn't a, it wasn't a draft. These were ones who owed their country service for being educated. Okay? These are literally enlistees who now don't want to go to war. And oh, it just drives me crazy. Okay? okay it's, such a, it's such a simple way to deal with such a complex issue. Okay, okay, relax, Jim. It's a TV show. I know. But we, but we do it all the time. We do it all the time. If, I were to, if we were to play that game, remember Match Game? Okay, or Family Feud? Okay. We are saved by buzzer. Okay, what would be, what would be some, of our, some of our number one responses? We are saved by, what's the first word that comes into your mind? We are saved by grace. What's another one? We are saved by what? I wonder, now again, I don't want to, you guys, I just think because you're, I mean, I don't know if I've told you this before. I love you guys more than I love anybody else. Um, you're clearly a smarter band. I really do that. After years, right, Brenda, Nancy? After years of this, you're just smarter. I really do believe that the number one answer that I would get from the average Christian would be faith. I really do. I believe that. You guys are smarter, so you, you move a little bit further. But say by faith. You guys are the AP class. Like Nancy and Diane's, or uh, Drew and... Uh, uh, Diane's class, yeah, they, they get dumb answers, but you guys are a lot smarter than that. So, we are saved by faith. Now, hear me, this is where it gets interesting, this is where I want a mash answer would be, we are saved by faith. I mean, sure, war's bad, and we should probably end it, and let's just, but it's, it's literally a lot more complicated than that. See, faith, actually, this is, um, if this is true, then faith has to have, as kind of what it means, it has to have a kind of a very broad understanding of what that word means. Okay, a very broad understanding of what that word actually is, not, not more limited. Okay? So yes, in, 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 in some sense, we are saved. Because saved does not go to heaven. Biblically, right? How many times have I said this? The Greek word sozo is such a deeper concept. Okay? So I, I get it. I'm sure we're saved by, first, by, by faith in the sense of like somehow, I guess, because we want to try to battle the opposite of this. We don't want that. And so we're going to go to this one because we don't want that one. And so if I were to even to say to you, um, what, what, do you what do you think of this idea? Let me, let me think of a way to put it. What do you think of this idea? Um, I am going to do a whole bunch of things for the Lord. And then, after I do all these things for God, he is going to, um, what word would I use? He's going to reward me for all the good works that I've done. How many of you agree with that idea? None? I'm going to do all these good works. I'm going to do all these good things for God. 
yeah, I'm going to do all these good things. And the reason why I'm going to do them is because I believe that if I do all these good things, he'll reward me. How many of you believe that? <laughs> Not the way I put it. Okay. Okay. The way, a little differently. Okay. Now, here's, here's what's interesting. So, we're saved by faith. Kind of, I guess. Like, again, I don't even know if I want to go, terrible answer. That's so, no, I get it. It's clearly in there. Probably a better answer, though, is we're saved by grace. Probably a better answer. I believe that. I like this answer better than I like this answer. We are, we are not saved by faith as much as, or a better way of explaining that, a, a, a more mature way of understanding that, a way that deals with the complexity of what it means to be broken and what it means to be made whole again. We are saved by grace. We are saved by God's grace. Okay? Through faith. See, interesting how even the Ephesians material, it is by grace that you have been saved, and then it says, through faith. So these are connected. We have been saved by grace through faith, for this is not of yourselves, so that no one can boast, for it is a gift of God. Okay? So it is charis, it is gift. And so we need to remember that. My new favorite answer to how are we saved, which is even bigger than this, and this is kind of my answer I'm finding great, as the older I get, the more I'm liking the, the answers I knew when I was a kid. I, I love to use, if you want to know what saves me, that's my favorite answer. We are saved by God. That's how I'm saved. I'm saved by God. Um, I came to this conclusion probably about three or four years ago when I was doing a communion meditation, and it just dawned on me. Because I was going to do this. We're saved by faith. We're saved by faith. We're saved by faith. No, we're not. We're saved by our faith in something. So we're saved by, by the cross. That's what we're saved by. Which, by the way, is not a bad answer. If you're kind of just talking loosely about it, I, get, I totally get it. We're saved by the cross of Christ. I get that. I'm not, I don't want to be, I'm not trying to be semantical here. I'm trying to say there is a time for us to give a quick answer. I'm okay with that. There's a time for us to give a little, little better, but kind of, a, kind of a quick answer. I think that's great. As we spend more time, as we want to move beyond childish to a more robust, deep, responsive, integrated faith, it's could you explain that any better? Can we go any, can we go any further? Or are you done? And sadly enough, this is what I love about this class, is what we're saying is, hey, we just, we really want, I mean, how many of you are taking this class because you want to know him? That's the only reason why I'm here. The only reason why I take this class is because I want to know him better. It's the only reason why. Yeah, I just want to know him better. I, I think that's a great answer, which always fits alongside. It might not be, can I give you a good exercise? It might not be a bad idea to write out in paragraph form how you are saved. Because I think it would go something like this. I believe that I am saved, rescued, made whole, healed by God through Jesus and what he did on the cross and how it was confirmed through his resurrection and how his now enthronement has sent the Holy Spirit 
and my obedience to that comes through faith so that I might for eternity glorify him through good works. I don't know. That's just me kind of making it up as I go. Okay, I thought about that. Okay, just I'll be honest with you. I didn't just make that up. But I, I think that, honestly, do you see how important that is? Do you see how, how seriously messed up we can get when we just look for just the quick answer? Which, by the way, I, I don't mind kind of what we call, like, when we go on mission trips. We say, when we're on the mission field, well, if we were to sit down, like, I'll be in Mexico next week. Um, when I sit down with the, with the team and I say, okay, guys, listen, I need you to have, like, a 30-second answer when someone says, hey, what did you do last week? I need you to have a 30-second answer. I need you to have a three-minute answer. And I really would like you to have a over a cup of coffee and 30-minute answer for what happened this week. You need 30 seconds, 3 minutes, 30 minutes. And I think our faith should have that. Quick answer, deeper answer, and then a robust answer. Because really what the Hebrews 11 is challenging us to do is be robust, is it not? It's challenging us to, to really reflect on the depth of what God has done for us in terms of who he is. And the thing that I think about, whenever I think about about Hebrews 11, I think about this, that if there's one thing that God expects, maybe even demands, is a response. Like, I, I believe this. God is, God moves in the world. He is an active engager of of the world and of people, okay? He's not passive. He's not just sitting back. He's not just waiting. He is actively engaging people. Has he not actively engaged you? So God actively engages you, and in that active engagement, he wants a what? I want a response. I want to get, I want to get something out of you. I want to get a rise out of you. I want you to, I want you to deal with me, essentially. Is it not? And this is how the Bible has been given to us. It's the story of God's movement and then human responses to who he is. And there's a list of responses, right? We could talk about um, by a lack of faith, Cain chose to ignore God's warning and he killed his brother. By a lack of trust in God, some of the very first people decided to build a tower way higher than they should. Um, Through a lack of trust in God, and then you could just list, right? Pharaoh decided that he would not let the people go. I don't know what word you want to use, lack of faith, distrust, but isn't that it? They decided in that moment, am I going to trust God or am I not? And by the way, that's actually a good question. If you, if you, for those of you that are going, Nancy and I have talked about this a number of times, I think people want more application. Okay, I'll give you application. Ask yourself this question before you make a decision. In what way, what I'm doing right now, will I need to believe in God and his word? In what way am I going to be stretched? Is my faith going to be tested by this action here? 
Because I love to ask that question, actually. I love to ask that question. I, I deal with it a lot. We were talking about the marriage issue. Um, and kind of I've been dealing with some difficult ones. I've asked this of people. How, how do you need God's, um, the, like, the word of the Lord um, to help you with, with this decision that your marriage is too hard so you guys are going to quit? It's mutual. Don't worry. Like, they both hated each other. It wasn't like one hated one. You know, no, they both hated each other. And so I had to look at them and say, okay, but in, in, what, in what way do we need faith here? Or is that just going to get in the way? In what way do we just need to try, almost jettison faith? That's a good question. Um, and again, I know what you are thinking. Well, but that's not every divorce issue. Okay, you win. I don't think I'm trying to talk about every issue. Just like I'm not trying to talk about every issue when I say fear. I know there are those that wrestle beyond just normal, but... I, I like to ask this question, like, in what ways do you need faith to just sit and worry and obsess about things? Or does faith just get in your way? Doesn't it get in the way? It gets in the way of mine. I mean, I'm a worrier. And every time, I just, man, I love to worry. Like, I'm, a, I'm almost a professional. My mom is a professional. I'm still on that pro-am circuit, you know what I mean? She's the, she's the pro, I'm the am. Um... That's kind of where we are. And, I mean, honestly, my mom just, she, she can invent things to worry about, okay? And uh, I just, I wonder, like, how, how does faith engage that? And, and by the way, I, I think, like, even my own desire to always find an excuse or a way out of it. Well, um, anxiety is deeper than that. Sure, I, I'm not arguing that every case in all instances. But, by the way, are you always the exception on all of these things? Can I, just give you a, can I just give you a little bit of a heads up? Are you always the exception? Okay. Be careful always being the exception. But do you realize, like, I don't need, I don't need faith. I don't, I don't need faith to drink too much. I need faith to actually believe that God's admonitions, that the Bible's admonitions about strong drink, do not be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, at some level, I actually have to believe. And I know, hear me, I know alcoholism is more complicated than this. I come from a family of them. Okay? I know it is. But I'm not going to ignore Ephesians 5 in the process. And I won't even apologize for that. Ephesians 5 says, do not be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And at some level, i got to decide that the Holy Spirit will be my comforter. That the Holy Spirit is enough for me. Okay? And at some level, i got to decide, like, I find greater satisfaction in Jesus than just giving in to the lust of my own flesh to be satisfied with the company of multitudes of women. But I'm going to find my strength and my comfort in Christ and in the Holy Spirit and in who He is and not live like a dog. Is that not true? How, how do I do that? And the answer from Hebrews 11 is what? By faith. By faith we believe these things. And what's interesting is, and this is why as I've, um, I've, I've always wrestled with this faith versus works, I'm getting more and more frustrated with that mentality. Because I want to read to you Hebrews 11 in, in, a, in a way that you recognize to try to pit them against each other is absolutely embarrassingly ridiculous. 
okay? Because here's what the text actually says. By faith offered, okay? By faith Abel offered a more worthy sacrifice. Not by faith Abel pleased the Lord by doing nothing. By faith Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith Enoch was taken up because he was commended as having pleased God. By what? By living his life. I mean, we don't have a lot on Enoch, but by living his life in such a way that he took God at his word, and you could see it in his actions. So don't make faith as the the antithesis, the antithesis of, 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 uh, of works. Because by faith, Enoch pleased God. By what? By living out a life, and if you look in the context of that Genesis material, by living different than everyone else. By faith, Noah, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. Okay? He didn't just sit back and just have thoughts about God. And so often, when we talk about faith, we mean what? Have thoughts about God, do we not? What is faith? You know, thinking about God. No, no, no. Faith is acting. It's trusting. It's believing in. It's placing one's confidence in. So by faith, Noah, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed. (laughs) I love that. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. By faith, Abraham went to live in a land. By faith, this is an interesting one, by faith, Sarah considered. Um, The the word considered in the ESV is used three times in this text. Twice, it's a very weird word. It's a word that is usually translated leader or led. how, How does that get to be considered? It's hard to understand. It really is. I, I went back and I looked at it, and I just, I don't have the resources, and, the, and they're not on the internet either, to fully um, try to expound that. And someday I will get a chance to do it. It appears that what it is describing, what Sarah is doing, and we'll see another one as well, um, twice when the word considered is used. Uh, by the way, the other one is going to be Moses, and it's going to come up in a moment. Um, Moses or Abraham? It's Sarah, Moses, and Abraham. I can't remember which one. Uh, two of them, it's this word, meaning that usually translated leader. What it, what it seems to be implying is, is that they were, they were thinking, they were um, esteeming, almost like a submission to something greater than them. It's kind of how it's used. It's kind of like to follow an order. They considered, right? It's kind of like when, when your boss comes in and says, go do this. They would use this word to talk about the response of someone who is subservient to a leader, and they would do that. And in essence, they would, they would think, or they would kind of respond in such a way, which is kind of interesting. By faith, Sarah kind of looked at who God was, looked at who she was, and she believed. I find it fascinating with laughter. So it's, it's even complicated. So by faith, Sarah considered him faithful who promised. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. By faith, Abraham considered. This is the second one, I know now. This is the second one in which it's this submission piece. Abraham considered that God was able to even raise him, meaning Isaac, from the dead. So what did he do? Abraham didn't just sit back. What did he do? 
He acted. He responded to the words of God, and he believed. He had faith. He trusted. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings. I love this. What does he do? Part of faith is to speak into people's lives the future promises of God, believing that they will happen. Okay? You've heard me go off on this for years now. Be very careful writing checks God won't cash. Okay? Be very careful writing checks that God will not cash. Okay? So when my sister had colon cancer, oh, Rhonda, you just need to have faith. And if you have faith, God will heal you. No, no, no. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy, Jim. Easy, Jim. Did God tell you that he was going to heal her? Well, no. But if she just has faith in what? Well, you know. No, no, no. Tell me. That God can or that God will? Well, if you want me to tell my Dar, that's, we, we call her that for Rhonda, Dar, I'm telling you, you need to believe that God has the power and is, is, is so loving and kind towards you that he can raise you up. Don't ever lose that hope that we can have in Christ that he is able and loving to raise you up. But to have faith that he will, unless he speaks. Now, by the way, if he speaks, Katie, bar the door. He gets to do whatever he wants, right? So if he speaks, you listen. Be very careful, though, writing checks that God will not cash. But can I give you the flip of that? Be very careful not writing checks when he has said, write the check. That's what I think concerns me, is that we're not telling people. Listen, you need to quit getting drunk with wine, but find comfort in the Holy Spirit. For that Holy Spirit will comfort you. And you don't need to look at the internet of pictures of naked people to make yourself feel excited or good. You can find that same kind of greater, a greater joy and a greater completeness without any kind of like guilty hangover when you find joy and purpose in who God is. Write that check, right? Because God's already, God's already got, He's already signed it. Fill it up. Use it. I love that. By faith, Abraham considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. Why? Because he knew him. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings. By faith, Jacob blessed each of his sons. That kind of fits with what Isaac did. By faith, Joseph made mention of the Exodus. He, he knew that this wasn't going to be the final resting spot. I love this story. And Joseph said, hey, by the way, like I know we just carried our dad out, but I'm still alive. Um, when I die, someone's going to come and it's going to lead us out of here. Make sure my bones go with you. And, and the, ex, the writer of Exodus, Moses, makes mention of this. And they all left, and Joseph's bones. And what did Joseph do? Joseph went, yeah, I'm going to die here. It's kind of God's plan. Um, it's going to be probably a long time, but just make sure my bones leave here when you guys do. You promise me? How do you know we're going to leave? As God said. How do you believe that? How do you know that? By what? By faith. In terms of who he is. I love this. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents. Three months. By faith, Moses what? Didn't just think about God. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Do not call me that. That's not who I am. This is the next one. By faith, this is Moses, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now, that word therefore considered is the word, which I was kind of hoping all three of them were, 
logizomai, which literally means he reasoned. Isn't this interesting? Faith is not only an action, or it leads to an action, okay? A trust. But faith actually is reasonable. Now, hear me. I don't want to limit, I don't want to, I don't want to totally get rid of the, the faith, the trust element in it. But there is a reasonableness in faith. And we want to always have them as one or the other. No, that's childish. No, no, no. They link together. Now, be careful how they link, but they do link together. And it looks like what happened was Moses went, okay, let me think about this. Let me think about everything. Okay, so over here I get this, and over here I get this, and over here I get this. Okay, that's pretty cool. That Egypt thing is awesome. But over here I get this, and over here I get this, and over here I get this. Like truly, like when, when, um, when Andrea and I get paid, we have an opportunity to look at our paycheck and go, okay, so what are we going to do with this? How much is going to go to rent? How much is this going to go to food? How much is this going to go for a car payment? How much is this going to go for our cell phone bills? Oh, wow, that much for our cell phone bills? That is ridiculous. Okay, anyway, how much is going to go for, right? That's what we do. And then we say, okay, and how much is this going to go for the kingdom? And it, it takes no faith to go, yeah, I'm not going to give anything to the kingdom. It takes no faith, actually, zero. It does take faith. Not just to write the check and to do without. It actually takes faith to believe that that money is going to go to the kingdom. Like that it's going to be worth it. I mean, honestly, I think one of the reasons why we don't give more faithfully is because we just kind of don't see it, you know, kind of like God. So does it really matter that we give to these missionaries? Does it really matter that we give to these? Like, does it really matter? And Jesus says what? Yeah, it really matters. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's about it's it's not about it's it's not about just tithing. It's not it's about truly trusting God with these things. And by the way, it's reasonable. Honestly, one of the reasons why I have learned to give is because it just is reasonable. Because I know that I'm going to look in front of God and I'm not going to go, "Oh, you know what? I wish I had one more Apple Watch." Like I'm not I'm not going to regret Ever giving to the kingdom, ever. I'll never regret giving to the kingdom. You know what I will regret? Not giving to the kingdom. Promise you. And I'll have eternity for that one. So it's, there's a reasonable to this. By faith, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. By faith, we should consider similar things. By faith, Moses left Egypt. By faith, Moses kept the Passover. Think about that. God said he's going to kill us if we don't put blood on the doors. We better put blood on the doors. Really? Like the blood's going to keep the angel of death? Um, you give me another plan. God said that if we don't put the blood here, we're dead. And I'd put the blood there. Really, what is that? The, the, the gap that, or the, the kind of the, the energy which caused the blood on the door was what? Believing that the blood on the door would cause, and there isn't an angel of death, by the way. It's God himself. Okay, read the text. I got, I got totally side-swiped by a student in college when I started talking about the angel of death, and he went, no, that's actually the movie. The Bible talks about God himself killing everybody. Oh, oh yeah, looked like an idiot. But anyway, not the, not the last time, not the first time. God himself will, over, will, will pass over you by putting the blood on the door. 
You know, that's just dumb. Do we need to put the blood on the door? I don't know. What's option number two? I just, I can't imagine putting blood on the door is going to do anything. Like the blood's going to do it? No, no, no. That's not the blood that's going to do it. But the faith that trusts that the blood on the door is going to cause the Passover, that's what matters. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. I love that. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, the walls fell down after being encircled. God said, move. And I believe that if they had went, I'm not, we're not going anywhere. That's just dumb. We're not walking around the city. You know, we're not doing, that's just ridiculous. How is that going to make the walls come down? How'd the walls come down? They came down, hear me, beautifully by God. And actually it was a gift. They didn't do it. But how, what enacted that? And the answer is faith. See? So our faith causes us to work, causes us to do things. Why? Because we believe, we trust in him. Lastly, by faith, Rahab the prostitute gave a friendly welcome to the spies and therefore did not perish with those who were disobedient. By faith, what? Gave a friendly welcome. I don't know about you, but um, how many of you would welcome a traitor? Welcome spies into your home. Any of you would welcome spies into your home? Okay, well, then you don't have the faith of Rahab. I mean, think about it. I mean, every... To me, to us, it just looks like it was the most natural and normal thing to do. But no, what did she do? I would argue what every one of these people did is what Moses did. They, they reasoned. They logizomied. And it made more sense to them to trust God in his word than not. And I want you to think about that. I want you to think about when you are in those situations where Let's make it practical, where you are going to decide whether or not you're going to um, forgive someone. Hey, I mean, I heard holding on to grudges is great. I heard it really pleases the Lord. So tell me, how much faith do you need for that? How much faith? Um, The next time you want to find peace and comfort in something that is both not just destructive, but actually takes away from an opportunity that you had to trust in the Spirit as comforter and guide. Eating, drugs, uh, sex, alchemy, whatever it is. These things are so detrimental. And you know what the most detrimental thing about them is? Is they wean you off of a trust in God and you find a greater satisfaction and a trust in something else. I actually, I, I see it confused in many times as love, interestingly enough. It's amazing the number of marriages that are really in deep, deep, deep trouble. And they call it love, but what they're really saying is, man, I just have all of my hope and all of my faith and all of my trust in you, and you have failed me, and so I'm mad and I can't let go and I can't forgive. The most brilliant thing I've ever heard anybody say was by a young woman in our congregation who after finding out that her spouse had cheated on her, her response went something like this. Well, good news, I didn't have all my faith in you to begin with. 
Man, I'm sure glad that I had my faith in Christ. Now hear me, it wasn't flippant. came with a lot of tears and a lot of working through. But she said, yeah, I can forgive you. Yeah, I can go on. You know why? Why? Because I have my hope in Christ. I have my hope in Him. I have my faith in Him. That's why I can go on. People that can't go on are people that have their faith in the wrong thing. People that can go on have their faith in who? In Jesus. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. It's interesting. Here's my closing text. And, and maybe I didn't word it exactly right. But this is what the book of Hebrews says. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God because we need to believe that he exists and he will reward those who seek him. That's why I actually believe that it might not be, maybe we need to reword it a little bit, but actually it's the Bible that actually teaches that idea. That I believe wholeheartedly and the good work that I do is believing that God will reward my trust in his word. And that's what faith is all about. I love this. I stole this actually from one of the authors of The Shack. Are you ready? Because I've been reading about him. And here's a statement that they made. And uh, I, I, I thought about using this, but I'm just going to use it as a closing line. One of the authors of The Shack, when he's kind of defending his work, and uh, we'll see what I think of it when I'm, I've read the book, but we'll watch the movie. He says this, trust or faith is the fruit of a relationship where you know that you are loved. I don't think it's all of it, but that's a great start. And how do we know that? That's why, that's why I deeply desire to know God better is so that I know where I can trust him. And by the way, don't trust God in everything. Don't trust God in everything. And what I mean by that is, like, don't trust him in areas where he hasn't spoken. But trust him everywhere where he has spoken. Trust him in every area that he has spoken. Because he is 100% what? Faithful to what he has already said. And that's what it means to live by faith. Um, if you want, um, I just kind of ran these off. If you want a copy of kind of what I gave, it's kind of my edited version of uh, Hebrews 11. I have some extras. I'll leave them up here. Uh, let me pray. God, thank you for your reminder of who you are and for the hope and the faith that we should have in you, that God, more than saved by faith, we are saved by your gift, your grace. But God, your grace comes not just as divine forgetfulness. Your grace is not empty. You are both just and the justifier, and so we have Christ. And that is what we believe, Father, more than blood on the door, we have the blood of Jesus that has made peace with you. And my sin, our sin, is forgiven there and there alone. And by faith, we believe that. And by faith, God, we act and live and move. For we trust that you not only exist, God, but that you will reward us as we celebrate and live in response to who you are, to what you have said, to what you are doing, to what you will do forever and ever.
Amen.